Welcome to the Soda Baptist Church podcast. This message is part of the teaching ministry of Soda Baptist Church in Livingston, Texas. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged to grow closer in your walk with Christ through this message. We invite you to check out our website at www.sodabaptist.org for more information about our church. You want to take your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. I know that this is going to be kind of an odd service this morning. I'm not going to be using the traditional scriptures that you would normally hear on a Resurrection Sunday. Uh, This will all bring us back. I mean, as we look into the Old Testament, I want you to know from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, there's one story told. And that is the story that God loves you and He has proven His love by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross. So what we're going to see this morning is looking in a a story that involves Abraham and what's taking place in his life. What we're going to find out, we're going to see exactly what Jesus was doing on the day of resurrection started way back here in the book of Genesis. We're going to see what Abraham was trying to accomplish through going and speaking to God about Sodom and Gomorrah is exactly what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross for me and you. So we're going to look at this, and I hope that you're able to make the connection this morning. I've titled my message, Jesus Filled the Gap. And uh, just look at what uh, the connection that we're going to be making this morning. When we get to Genesis chapter 18... We're going to find that God has made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham is living in and around Sodom and Gomorrah, this nation. God is sending a group of uh, people to, or a couple of angels, and the Lord Himself is coming and to see what is going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what we're looking at when we get to this point in the Scripture. Read with me verses 1 and 2, and this will kind of set the stage for this morning. It says, And the Lord appeared unto him, this is talking about Abraham, in the plains of Manar, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground. Now, we're going to see, if you continue to read through the Scriptures, I'm not going to read all of this this morning, But this is what we're going to find out. Two of those men were angels. Two of those men were angels. When you look in the Scriptures, you're going to see one of the men that is standing there talking with Abraham. If you will look in the Scriptures, you will see that it identifies him as the Lord. Pay real close attention to the way they spelt Lord. It is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Anytime you read those letters in the Old Testament Scriptures, that is talking, and this is Jesus that has come with two angels, and they're going down to Sodom and Gomorrah to check it out. So when you see that, you'll recognize that. Now, many times when you read through the Old Testament Scriptures, you're going to see the word capital L, little o, little r, little d. Not referring to the Son of God, but that's referring to a master or someone who is in charge. But every time you see these words capitalized, the word Lord in all caps, 
refers to the Lord Jesus. So when we look here in the Old Testament, we wonder sometimes, well, where was Jesus the whole time in the Old Testament? Well, you see this when you read these scriptures and you recognize that all caps means it's talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, in the Old Testament. So what? this is what we see. The Lord comes and He's got two angels with Him. The Bible describes them as men. When they approach the tent, Abraham sees them. He runs out to meet them. For some reason, I believe that, that Abraham recognized them as someone special. Because Abraham ran back and he ran into the tent and he said, Hurry, Sarah, we've got to get a meal together. Now think about this. It says that Abraham comes back to the tent. He runs out back. He finds a calf. He slaughters the calf. He takes the meat from the calf. He brings it back in and he cooks and prepares a meal for them. Wow. I mean, for me to kill and quarter up a deer is a pretty good process but when Abraham recognized who these people were I want you to know he went and killed a calf right then in their, in their honor and Sarah baked bread and prepared a meal and the Bible even says when you continue to read through there you're going to see that they sat down and they ate that meal together these are two angels and Jesus are sitting down and they're eating this meal together now understand this also uh, when we read through Scripture, even after Jesus rose from the grave, remember that He sat down and He ate with His disciples. The day is coming when we will have a glorified body and we too will eat. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven in our glorified bodies, there's going to be a great banquet that is prepared. We're going to have the marriage supper of the, the, the marriage feast of the Lamb. I mean, we're going to celebrate and there's going to be eating in heaven. Now, I can't explain all that to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right? I can't explain to you why these angels sat down and ate with Abraham, but the Bible says they did. I believe what the Bible says. So when they're coming, here they are. They've come through. Abraham has prepared a meal for them. And as they're about to leave, they get up to leave, and Abraham goes with them. And this is what it says. Look in verse number 16. In verse number 16, And the men rose up from thence, and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, the Lord being Jesus, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I will do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? The Lord is asking a question. It sounds like he's either talking to himself or talking to the angels and they're saying, hey, should I tell Abraham what we're about to do? I mean, he is going to be the one that's going to bless the whole world. Should I tell him where we're going and what we're about to do? And the Bible says that, that Abraham is informed about what they are about to do. What these angels are about to do and Jesus, they're about to go into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and to see if the sin is as great as they think it is. And they are contemplating or they're fixing to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because we know the rest of the story and how this is going. When we look down there in verse number 22, we see that these two angels go on in. The Verse 22 says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went... You want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 18. 
Genesis. Now this is the point that I want to make this morning. When I say that Jesus filled the gap, understand that there is a thing taking place right here. And Abraham understands what's fixing to take place in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham tries his best to stand in the gap for these people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is beginning to plead for the cause of these people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, you're going to see, as you read this, you're going to see that this is what he says. He says, well, Lord, will you destroy these two cities? Will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? What if there's 50 inside these cities that are righteous? Will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? And the Lord said, no, if I can find 50, I'll spare these two nations. He said, wait a minute, Lord. But what if, what if you find only 45? Will you still destroy them if you, still, if you just find 45? You said 50, but what about 45? Abraham's going to the plate. He's standing in the gap for these people. The Lord says, no. If I can find 45, I'll spare the nations. Abraham says, well, what about 40? What if we find, fall five short again? What about 40? The Lord said, I'll spare him if you can't find if I find 40. Abraham says, well, what about 30? He says, I'll spare him if I can find 30. Abraham says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about 20? And the Lord says, I'll spare him if I can find 20. Well, Lord, what about 10? What if you can just find ten righteous ones? Would you spare the city for ten? He says, Abraham, if I can find ten, I will spare the cities. And you know the rest of the story. There was only three people that came out of that city that were not destroyed, and that was Lot and his two daughters. Lot's wife, as they were departing the city, turned and looked back, and she also was destroyed. But do you see what just took place right here? Abraham had such a concern for these, even these wicked people. He said, Lord, what can I do to spare these people? God, I'm pleading on their behalf. I'm looking. I'm looking for a way for them to be spared. Is there any way? And the, the, the result was no. There's not any way. None righteous. None righteous in the city. And we see that. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And none righteous were found. I want us to look in another passage of Scripture. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Now don't forget the title of the message. Jesus is filling the gap. Jesus is filling the gap. This is another set of scriptures where Jesus is doing the same thing, or God is doing the same thing again. He finds this group of people, the Israelites, and He is wanting His best to be able to spare the judgment that is going to be pronounced on the people of Israel. I'm going to do my very best to see if I can find someone. That you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis bring the judgment on the people.
This is what he's looking for. And I want you to know, if you go back through the book of Ezekiel, I want you to know God is just pouring out and telling the world how evil the nation of Israel has become. We're not going to read a whole lot of this. I do want to kind of give you a, an idea of what's going on. So if we'll back up to... Um, uh, let's look in verse 23. Let's look in Ezekiel chapter 22... And verse 23, and this is going to give us a, a, a description of what's taking place with Israel right now. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Her is the nation of Israel. Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravaging the prey, and they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasures and the precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst. Listen listen to what's taking place right here in the church. Her priests have violated my law, and they have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hid their eyes from the Sabbath, and I have profaned among them. Her priests in the midst thereof are like wolves ravaging the prey to shed blood and destroy souls to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have uh, dotted them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and vain life. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, this just continues to go on. It even gets down to the point, the nation of Israel and the, the priest, let me say it this way, the preachers, the religious leaders of that day, I want you to know what God said to them has become unimportant. The Bible even says they would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord when the Lord had not said that. In other words, what they were doing is a whole lot of what's going on in our nation today. You can do whatever you want to, and in the name of God, you can do it, and it's okay as long as you do it in the name of the Lord. That's blasphemy. That's what was taking place in here. There was no discipline in their church. There was no... It was... They were doing their own thing, kind of like the Nike symbol. Just do it. Just do it. That was their motto back then. Kind of like in our nation today. Just do it. You don't have to answer to anybody but yourself. And that's what God was telling the nation here. Look what it says in verse number 30. And again, just like Abraham was trying to stand in the gap, this is what God says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now let me explain to you where it says they're making up the gap and they're, they're making up the hedge. Let me, let me tell you what this is talking about. This I want you to know all through the Scriptures, and we're going to see this toward the end of the message this morning, all through the Scripture, God wants you to be able to understand these Scriptures simply. I mean, I, I want you to know He does not intend for the, the Word of God to be complicated at all. 
when he is sitting here talking to these, these Hebrew people, these Israelites, he uses the word gap, making up the gap and, and plugging up the hedge or filling up the hedge. I, I want you to know, they understood that. Me and you don't understand that today. We don't understand that. Let me tell you what they were doing in those days. In those days when they planted a vineyard, one of the biggest enemies of what the thing that would destroy a vineyard the most were foxes. You ever heard of that? How foxes destroyed the vineyards and they go in. The foxes would go in and they would pull down the grapevines and they would eat the grapes and they would destroy a whole vineyard overnight. So when they planted vineyards in that day, they would plant these hedges. Now I know what a hedge was. Uh, these old hedge bushes that we have out in the woods. That's not what he's talking about. The hedge that they were talking about in that day, these hedges were, I mean, they would have six to eight inch thorns on these hedges. When they were about to put a vineyard in, they would take and they would plant these hedges around the outside edges of the vineyard. And as these hedges would grow and they would grow together, listen, nothing could penetrate these hedges because it was thorns upon thorns upon thorns. Sometimes they would build what would, we would better understand would be a wall or a fence. They would make fences out of rocks. But it was a natural hedge to build these hedges around these vineyards. But this was what would happen. Those foxes would begin to smell those grapes. And I mean, it was something they just couldn't stay away from. And those foxes would begin to go around these hedges and they would try to find them a way in to get to that vineyard. And they would make a hole here and they would make a hole there. And they would try to find a, a spot to get in. And the husbandman or the keeper of the vineyard would come. And he would see an area where the grapes had been torn up. And this is what he would do. He would start walking around that hedge. And he would see a spot on the ground where a fox had found a place to get through. And this is what he would do. To keep the enemy out, to keep the varmint out that is destroying things, he would take a saw and he would cut off a limb from that hedge and he would make up the hedge. And he would take that old briar vine and he would stick it in that hole so the next time that fox came, the hedge had been made up. The people are now protected again. The grapes are now protected again. God is coming to the nation of Israel and He says, Nation of Israel, you're living unjust, you're living ungodly and I am about to bring the judgment of God on this nation. And He says, I want you to know, I came to your nation looking for someone that would stand in the gap for you. I was looking for a preacher that would stand up and preach the word of God, uncompromised and unashamed. I think that's what God is looking for in America today. He's looking for someone to make up the gap and stand in the way to protect the church from the world that's out there and is not afraid to say, this is wrong according to the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. He's willing. He's looking for someone that will make a stand. That's what He's looking for right now. He's looking right out here for someone that's willing to make a stand for God. That'll make up the hedge. That'll fill that gap. Standing in the gap for someone else. Man, I tell you, 
That's standing in the gap is when you find somebody that you know that they don't know the Lord Jesus and you're willing to go and witness to them and you don't really care whether they like it or they don't like it. You're so worried that they're going to die and go to hell that you're willing to step out and stand between Almighty God and the judgment of God and this poor soul that doesn't know the Lord Jesus and you plead with them, the Lord Jesus. Make it up the hedge. Another example in the Old Testament Scriptures, and I want you to know I preached a message, well, the first year I was here. In January of 2011, I preached a message on standing in the gap. Part of the Scripture references I've used this morning came from that message, standing in the gap. But I want us to see something this morning. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. I want to explain to you how Jesus Christ has stood in the gap for you. Notice. Notice in both places. Watch this. These are the reason I use these two examples. The judgment of God is coming against Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stood there and said, Okay, God, what can I do to keep the judgment, your judgment and your wrath from this city? And basically God said, Abraham, there's nothing you can do. Ezekiel is coming and the nation of Israel is so rebelled against God. Here comes Ezekiel and Ezekiel is standing here and and God is saying, Ezekiel, I'm trying to find anyone that can stand in the gap. The judgment of God and the nation of Israel. What's going to happen? As a result of this judgment, this is where the Babylonians came and took the nation of Israel, took them 900 miles away from their home. They was there for 70 years. The judgment of God came. Do you realize we're in the same place? We need someone to stand in the gap for me and you. We need someone to make up the hedge. In other words, when we look in John chapter 10, what we find there, it says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ has come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. I want you to know the the enemy that's coming, I desire, I desire to tell you this morning about the one that can stand in the gap and make up the hedge for you. And I plead with you this morning, do not leave here without him. I plead with you. Because the only thing that stands between you and the judgment of God is going to be that one that stood in the gap for me and you. Let me ask you this. For a man to stand in the gap for who we are, what would he have to do? What would he have to do? I want you to know what this is what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us, in a couple of verses down from that, it says none of us are good. There's not a single person in here that's good. None of us are good. Romans 3 and 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me tell you what has to happen for someone to be able to stand in the gap and prevent the judgment of God from affecting our lives Someone has to be completely and totally righteous. That's the qualifications. They've got to be completely and totally righteous. Well, according to these scriptures, no one in this room qualifies. As a matter of fact, according to the Bible, there's only been one that ever walked the face of this earth that qualifies. 
And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. The second thing that must be required of one that is able to stand in this gap is he's got to be willing to take the punishment for our sin. Okay? First of all, we have to look and we find out that he can't... He cannot be unrighteous like you and I are. He has to be completely and totally righteous. Well, guess what? If if he is completely and totally righteous, he doesn't deserve death. But let me tell you what the punishment for our sin is. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what every one of us deserves. When God is standing up here and the judgment of God looks down on our unrighteous lives, the judgment for our unrighteousness is is death and total separation from God. Now, many preachers won't use this word, but it means an eternity in a place called hell or the lake of fire. As the Scripture bears it out, that is going to be the ultimate judgment for anyone who refuses to let Jesus stand between them. I want you to know Jesus wants to make up the gap. He wants to make up the hedge for you. That's why He came. That's why He came. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 5 tells us that Jesus came and He lived among us yet without sin. So Jesus, is not He doesn't deserve death. But what we find is that Jesus died for us. I like this scripture in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners... You know what else the Bible describes us as? Enemies of God. We're His enemy. If you're not a believer, the Bible tells us you're an enemy of His. You might sit here and say, Well, no, no, I don't have anything against God. Well, the Bible says you do. If you don't believe that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, and you don't believe any of that, the Bible says you're an enemy of His. I'm not saying that. (laughs) I wouldn't dare to be so bold to say something like that, but God, He's not afraid to say that. I guess, I guess the whole the one verse in the whole Bible that most people around the world know that applies to this situation is this verse right here. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What a simple verse. What a simple verse. I want you to know God has not made this complicated. God says, I love you. You can't pay your own debt? Here, I'll take it on my back. I'll suffer. I'll bleed. I'll die on your behalf. The only thing I require from you is that you believe me and trust me. That's what he says. For if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It says, For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, but with the heart are we justified by believing in Him. For all whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you, He has made the way for us to be saved. It's not hard. It's not hard at all. Look with me in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
I don't know how many of you have been kind of reading through the Scriptures this week. I guess we call it Holy Week. This is the week that's represented. You know, and I, I, I thought about this earlier this week. We keep saying, you know, about 2,000 years ago. Well, we, we know pretty much from history that Jesus was crucified probably somewhere between 28 and 32 Nobody really knows what exact year it is, 28, 32. It's not yet been 2,000 years. We know that he was born probably around the turn of the century. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was born. But somewhere in that area between 28 A.D. and 32 A.D., Jesus, he lived on this earth, we know, for 33 years. And that last three years, we see explained to us all the things that he's done to qualify to be the Savior of the world. Lived a sinless life, born of a virgin. All of these things as He's qualified. And it came down to Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Jesus has just spent the night with His disciples. They've had the, the last supper with His disciples. Judas has left the group to go and betray Him. They go to the Mount of Olives, and as they are in the Mount of Olives, Jesus goes a little ways away from His disciples, and He, he kneels down to pray. Look what it says in this verse, 22 and verse 42, and it says, He prayed and He says, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. We read that and we recognize right there at that moment Jesus became completely obedient to the Father. And back here in Ezekiel where it says, And I stood and I, I looked for a man to stand in the gap. Jesus is saying, I'll be that man. Amen. I'll do it. If I knew every name in this room, I would call you by name right now. And I said, Jesus is standing in the gap for you. Just say your name right there. He's standing in the gap for you. He says, I'll do it. I recognize that they're unrighteous. I understand that it's not possible for them to do it. I will make the payment. In Isaiah chapter, in Isaiah chapter 53, this is what it tells us that Jesus done for you and me. In Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is Jesus on the cross. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he bore their iniquities. When Jesus died on the cross, He died for every sin of every person in this room and every sin for the sins of every person in the world on the cross that day. And Jesus looked down and He says, that's good enough for the payment of sin. That's good enough. And I want you to know, He couldn't say that's good enough until the 3 o'clock hour in that afternoon when Jesus said, it is finished and He gave up the Spirit, and He died. Because the cost of your sin and my sin is death. But you know, it's not yet over. It's not yet over. 
had Jesus died and he stayed in the grave, that's just like any other man, but Jesus didn't stay in the grave. We mentioned this morning in Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, it says, And Mary came and they said, Who are you looking for? Well, we're looking for Jesus. He is not here, for He is risen from the grave. That's what it's all about. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about Jesus standing in the gap for me and you. And it's up to us whether we're going to allow Him to do that for us. He's made that payment. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, it tells us this. Nay, in all things, we are made more than conquerors through Him that loves us. I want you to know, we have victory over death. We have victory over sin when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives to change that for us all. I mentioned earlier that I want you to know that God has made this simple. I heard this this last week and I've kind of uh, made a few changes in it to make it more applicable to us. All through the Bible when Jesus is speaking to people, He, he uses, if He's talking to a farmer, what did, what did He do? He told a parable about seeds. He was talking to a shepherd. He told a parable about sheep. He was talking to a mom and a daddy. He told parables about, about kids and sons and daughters. And I want you to know, when we look in the Scripture, He has made it simple for every single one of us in here to know who He is. Jesus is living water so that He might reach and plumbers might understand. Jesus is the bread of life so that a baker can understand. He became the light of the world so electricians can understand. He became the cornerstone so architects could understand. He became the son of righteousness so, so that astronomers can understand. He became the hidden treasure so that bankers can understand. He became life so that biologists can understand. He became the great physician so that doctors and nurses can understand. He became the good teacher, so that educators could understand. He became the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon, so that florists can understand. He became the rock of ages, so that geologists can understand. He became the true vine, so that horticulturalists can understand. He became the righteous one, so that judges and our judicial system can understand. He became the, the pearl of great price so that jewelers can understand. He became wisdom so that our philosophers can understand. He became the word so that actors can understand. He became the good shepherd so that farmers can understand. He became the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end so that scientists can understand. He became the king of kings and lord of lords so that royalty can understand. He became the way so that traffic cops can understand. He became the truth so that politicians can understand. He became the resurrection so that funeral directors can understand. He came from the stump of Jesse so that loggers can understand. 
He became the one so that we can all be saved. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the one that has stood in the gap for me and you. Jesus rose from the grave so that we might have victory over death. Jesus is the only way that we can have eternal life. Jesus is the only way that we get out of this life alive. I could go into a whole other sermon that talks about the death, of the first death and the second death. Believe me, you don't want to go through the second death. If you know Jesus, you only die once, and that's in this old physical body, because then we live for eternity. Without Jesus, you die from this old physical body, and then you stand in front of a judgment seat where He condemns you to the lake of fire. And He says, and that is the second death. You don't want to be a part of that. The resurrection is all about Jesus standing in the gap. The resurrection is all about Jesus making up the hedge for you. Jesus on the cross is all about you. Don't sit here this morning and say, well, you know, that was a pretty good message. I wish my daughter had been here. I wish my son had been here. I want you to know Jesus knew who was going to be here this morning. This message is for you this morning. It's for you. Take an inventory. Where are you at in your relationship with Christ? Have you allowed Him to make up that hedge in your life? Jesus was righteous. He gave His life so that we might be saved. Are you saved this morning? That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's about the salvation of individuals like you and me. Let's pray. Fathers, we've come to this point in the message this morning. I just want to thank you that you've given me an opportunity to speak on your behalf. And I'm so glad that you give illustrations and stories and uh, things in the Scripture that help us to understand. I, I, I'm glad you allowed Jesus to be called all those things. You've broken it down for so many people. We can understand that that's who you are. That's why you've come, is for us. God, let this message penetrate our hearts this morning. And, and God, I pray that we'll all be different as a result of us realizing that you've stood in the gap for us. God, help us live our lives for you. Take this invitation time. Use it for your honor and your glory as we sing this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name.